This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. So it's my joy to be here with you today on behalf of our church in Northeast Philadelphia and to open God's word to you. We'll actually be continuing in the Luke series. So if you have your Bible, please turn to the gospel according to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. And our text for today will be the kind of the second half of that Olivet Discourse that Pastor Jeff began last week. Luke 21, 20 to 38. Signs are important. Did you read any signs to get here today? Now, if you come here every week, you probably didn't, right? You, but you walked past some or you drove past some. Signs are important and so is reading them. Street and road signs are so that you know where you are and then so that you know what you are supposed to do, like a stop sign. We'll take that, for instance. In the Northeast, stop signs mean you slow down a little bit, check to make sure that it's going to be safe to roll through, and then you just roll on through. I don't know how that works around here, though I do have a little bit of a sense because the cars are like so tight on some of the one-ways. It's like you got to stop just because you'd like to live, right? But where you get a little more room, it's like stop signs are maybe... Maybe a suggestion, and if there's a lot of cars, then obviously you kind of have to do that. Or at a yellow light, right? Yellow means speed up and get through the light, except for the ones where you know there's a traffic camera. Right? Those, co- those cost money if you roll through them a little bit late. So that means you actually get ready to stop. Seriously, those signs are important, right? Even in these amazing days of GPS, signs are still important. Have you experienced yet that the GPS isn't always right? I see those heads nodding out there. Yeah, it's like, it says, turn now at whatever street. And you're like, I'm at a street, but it doesn't say that, right? I actually experienced that this morning. You're driving and it's like, but that's, that's not the word that you said. I'll go with the word you said instead of turn here. Because sometimes the soft voice says turn here and you're actually in between two streets. Or it says your destination is on the right and you can't see anything that resembles your destination. That's a scary feeling, especially when you were just barely going to be on time. And that's where signs come in handy. Yeah, that sign says Moore Street. I need to get on that one to get to Christ Church. Or there's the sign for the store that I'm looking for at the next entrance on the other side of the shopping center. Signs are enormously helpful. But signs are only useful if we read them and make proper use of them. How do you make proper use of a street sign? You stop when you should. You turn where you should. How do you make proper use of signs when you're riding the bus or riding the subway? You pay attention to which direction it's going. 
See, in the Northeast, they're not always around the, the stops. We have buses, but it takes us a little bit to get down to the L to come down here. And I've been down in Old City at times with my family, and it's like, well, we need to go back home. We're riding the L. Which way do we get on? And they haven't, not everyone has figured out yet that if you get on on the south side of Market Street, you're going to head east. And if you get on the north side, you're going to head west. But it's helpful. You can't just see Market Frankfurt line, right? You might end up somewhere you don't want to go. You need to know which direction to go. In the Olivet Discourse, which Pastor Jeff began last week, and we're finishing this week, Jesus speaks of signs. He says, when you see these things happening, he says, you even know how to read signs. When you see leaves on the fig tree, you know that summer is near. He speaks of the signs, and he tells us what we're supposed to do about them, which is so good because it's hard for us to read the signs of our times, is it not? There are times we wonder, what in the world is going on? But Jesus has already spoken, and he has already told us what to do, how to read the signs, and what to do about it. So basically, I just want to build on Pastor Jeff's message from last week and focus then on the applications at the end of the Olivet Discourse that Jesus himself gives. And these are true whether everything in this passage is in the past, whether half of it is in the future, whether some of it is in the future. That is not the point. The point is how we are to respond to the signs that Jesus gives us. So let's look now at Luke 21, that second half, verses 20 to 38. This is the word of the Lord. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance. To fulfill all that is written, alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's pray. God, would you work now as we look into your word? Would you help us to see what you want us to see? Would you help us to see the signs and how they point us back to Jesus? And in seeing Jesus, would you settle our hearts? Would you settle our hearts on him? And then would you spur us to live for him all our days, however many we have and whatever they look like? Would you do this good work in us through your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name? Amen. Now many, maybe even all, of the specific signs that Jesus describes here have already been Fulfilled. Certainly, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. If, we're, if we go back to the beginning of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. He tells them that before that happens, there will be war and persecution. They will face difficulty. And that's kind of where we picked up in verse 20, when he predicts specifically that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies, that it will be desolated, that it will be destroyed. And it was. And so we need to remember as we look into God's word, yes, we want to figure out what's there for us, but Jesus first said these words to real people in a real situation, and for them, every bit of this was future, right? So we're going to extract principles and say, here are ways this applies for us, no matter what is left of the prophecies here, but for those first followers of Jesus, As he taught the disciples, every bit of this was future. And so it was very important that they understand the signs. And history tells us that they did. That when Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, you know who knew to leave? The followers of Jesus. Because he'd already told them. They listened to his words, they saw the signs, and they got out. They escaped. Jesus describes days of vengeance, fulfilling all that was written, that Jerusalem would be destroyed for their rebellion against God, their Savior, and ultimately their rejection of Jesus Christ. And it happened. There's more debate about whether verses 25 through 28 happen in AD 70 or whether they're still future. And even if you believe that there's a way in which there was a coming of man in judgment, coming of the Son of Man in judgment in AD 70, there's still some things in verses 25 to 28 that sound like they could have a future fulfillment, that sound like 
today. And I'm not arguing for a particular interpretation. Whatever interpretation you have of these, the principles will remain the same. Because doesn't it feel like we're facing similar signs to some of these? There's distress of nations in perplexity. Sounds right. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. Did you watch the news at all this week? This is our reality. We face fears. We face uncertainties. And we face them on a worldwide scale, but then we also can face them on a much closer to home scale, right? We face them in our city, in our state, in our nation. Do things seem out of control? Yes. Does it feel like the world might end if things don't change? Maybe sometimes it does. Every generation since Jesus first spoke these words has wondered, are we in the last days? The biblical answer to that question is yes. If you feel like you're living in the last days, you are exactly right. We are living in the last days. Now how do we know that. Well, one hint we get is in Hebrews 1, where the author says that God spoke to us in the old times, in various times, in many ways, but in these last days has spoken to us by his Son. We have been in the last days since the first century, and we don't know how many last days there are. And how long the Lord will wait to come and to rescue his people and to right every wrong. But we have his promise and we know that he will come. And we saw at the end of the text last week a call to endurance. However dark the days, we keep holding on to Jesus. And in the last part of our text for today... Jesus gives us application. What do we do with these signs? What do we do in difficult days? Whatever our position on the passage as far as interpretation, what we're supposed to be doing is clear. The big idea this morning is this. When our world seems to be falling apart, We must look to Jesus. He talks about signs, and ultimately, as we'll see from the text, those signs point to him. The signs are meant to point us to Jesus. When our world seems to be falling apart, we must look to Jesus. Yes, we live in what has been called the overlap of the ages, or the time between the times. What are those times? Well, the first time was Jesus' first coming. 
to live a perfect life, to die a bloody sacrificial death on the cross, taking all our sins on him, to rise victoriously from the grave on the third day, and then 40 days later to ascend to his Father's right hand. That was his first coming. But there is a promised second coming. That's the other time. That's the overlap that we live in right now between that time and his second coming. When he comes to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. When he comes to judge his enemies, to usher in the eternal kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where we will live with God and all his people forever with no more sin, sickness, sadness, sorrow, and death. That day is really coming because Jesus has promised to come again. Even at his ascension as the disciples are staring up into heaven, We would have too, right? I mean, you're talking to Jesus. He tells you, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go all over the world with the gospel. And then he ascends to his father right in front of you. And he's taken up into the clouds and he's gone. We would have done exactly the same thing. Whoa. And an angel appears to tell them, stop looking up into the sky He's coming back. You saw him go. You will see him come again. So we have his word. We have his promise. The next big thing on God's calendar is that Jesus is coming back to gather his own and to judge the world. So what do we do about it? What do we do about that? Especially when everything seems to be flying apart. If you remember, one application is that last part of the main thing for today. Look to Jesus. And so we'll spend the rest of our time saying, what do we mean when we say, look to Jesus? Right? How do I do that? How do I know if I'm doing that? We sang, behold him, but like, I don't, you know, I, we can be confident that he's here today with us because there are more than two or three of us gathered in his name, but we, we can't see him yet. We can't touch him and we'd really like to some days wouldn't we say Jesus just come make it all right make my home with you forever and so sometimes we can hear words like look to Jesus and it's like that's nice it's a very Christian sounding instruction to give can't go wrong with that application boy you really mailed it in today Rob When things get hard, look to Jesus. We can almost treat it that way, right? It's like, I know the answer. Now, I don't know what I'm going to do differently, but I know the right answer. And so Jesus gives us some specifics. If, If the main thing is look to Jesus, what does looking to Jesus in times of difficulty look like? And we don't want to make it up. So we get it from Jesus himself. One way we look to Jesus is to look past the present difficulties to the good future that's coming. One way we look to Jesus is we look past the present difficulties to the good future that's coming. We see that in verse 28 and the following verses. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up 
and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. What is judgment for the rest of the world will become great blessing for those who belong to Christ. The world gets one day worse, and we who are in Christ are one day nearer to Jesus. In the midst of feeling the brokenness of this world, we must remember to feel that too. Yes, things are out of control. Yes, there's a lot that's wrong. And I'm not advocating we just go... Hey, there's no big deal. It doesn't matter who, who got murdered this week. It doesn't matter who's being oppressed in other places around the world. It doesn't matter what government gets toppled. It doesn't matter what's happening in Congress because I've got Jesus. We're not saying that. There's a lot that's wrong and we should care about it. Even as we took time just a few moments ago to pray for the persecuted church. We're not just, oh, well. No, we, we mourn with them and we work to make wrongs right where we can. And while we do that, we remember that our redemption is drawing near. Because Jesus is coming again. So it doesn't mean we ignore present difficulties, but we're able to see through them to the end that is coming, the good future that is coming. We do not have to be afraid when the whole world is flying apart because we know who is in control. We know who has us. And even if we face the worst on the other side, we will be with him and it will all be worth it. In verse 28, he said, straighten up and raise your heads. And we, we are familiar with that kind of expression, you know, keep your head up. And sometimes we can use that like, you know, you lost the game, but keep your head up. This isn't hold your head up high. It's not, okay, there it is, I am ready, right? It's not that. The idea is more of look up. Like in Psalm 24, we're told, lift up your heads, O gates, that the King of glory may come in. The point isn't, boy, those gates look good today, right? It's that they're ready for the entrance of the King. It's not stand up straight and puff your chest out and hold your head high because you're a Christian and everything's going to be good for you. No, we look for him. Our redemption is drawing near because the coming of Jesus is drawing near. It's a command to hope in the good future that Jesus is about to bring. So one way we look to him is even in the present difficulties, we look to the good future that's coming and we let that good future shape our perspective on the present. So we look to the good future. Another way we look to Jesus, and this is so vital, we trust Jesus' words. We see this in verse 33. After he told them the parable about the fig tree and all the trees, and he says it's coming near, 
You know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. If we are to look to Jesus, what does looking to Jesus look like? It looks like trusting his words, because his words will not pass away. In today's world, one thing we are never short on is words, right? Lots of words all the time, everywhere, right? People say, listen to podcasts, and you're like, that's, that's a lot of words, right? And you watch the news, and it's words after words after words. You watch opinion stuff, it's words after words After words, you read the paper and other than the comics, but even the comics have words. It's words. There are lots and lots of words out there. And those words shape us. Yes, sometimes we we get information. It doesn't mean, you know, don't read the newspaper. Doesn't mean don't watch the news. But when you think about just in the last week, your intake of words, whose words, if you just kind of measured them like a screen time app might measure your time, if you measured your words, whose words are you filling yourself with? Whose words win in your life? We would do well to pay attention to the words of Jesus. And yes, that means we pay attention to the red letters in our Bible. But we also know that the whole Bible is the word of God. The word of the Lord that reveals to us who he is. And so we look to his word. A way we look to Jesus is we trust his words. Because all those words that are floating out there and that are coming in, those words will all pass away. Heaven and earth, he says, will pass away. Kingdoms and nations will run their course. This one too. And so this isn't where we put our hope. Theories come and theories go. God's word explains who we are and where we're from and what's wrong with us and how it is made right. Jesus' words are the words we must listen to. They're the words we must submit to. Presidents come and presidents Go. Jesus' words abide forever. Is there someone or some station or some group of people whose words have more power over your life than Jesus? That when you're ready to go to bat in an argument, 
you're filled with their talking points rather than Jesus' talking points. That might change the way we interact with our neighbors, with our family. We must trust Jesus' words. It's only his words that will endure forever. You think of the end of John 6 when everyone was leaving him after he had said some very difficult words that were hard to understand. Talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and all the crowds are like, you know what, this guy's weird. I'm out. And Jesus turns to the twelve. And he says, will you also go away? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus' words are eternal life. Jesus' words give us life and health and peace. Isn't that what we all want? Words shape us. Let's be shaped by God's words. And as we do, the next one from verses 34 and 35, how do we look to Jesus? Don't get distracted. Kind of going back to the signs at the beginning, did you know that distracted driving is as dangerous as drunk driving? It's very similar. You say, well, I'm not impaired. It's like, sure, but if you're looking down at your phone, you can't see what's happening in front of you. And that can happen to us. Look, look at verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. It says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. What are the things that you use to get your mind off real life in order to have a different kind of experience? That's the idea of drinking a lot. That's kind of what it's for. Now, we don't use the word dissipation all the time. At least I don't use it regularly in, in my uh, conversations at home or anywhere else, really, uh, except for when it's in the text like this. And the idea there is carousing. That's what you'll find in some other translations. It's the, it's the partying without really much regard to what else is going on. It's closely tied with drunkenness. That's the original context. But what are some things that we use? Maybe it is drink or drugs or prescription, something like that for you, where it's like, I've got to get away from these feelings. But for others who say, well, I don't do those sorts of things, right? What, what is it? What is it for you? Video games can be one, probably usually for the younger set. But as video games have now been around for like 40 years, you find even old people like me playing them. What do video games do for you? I, I do enjoy playing uh, the NHL game by EA Sports. What do, what do video games do? They give you a different experience outside of reality where you can control something, where you can win, where you can be good at something you're not good at. And if I put the settings right, I can actually win in a hockey game. I'm not actually a good hockey player in real life. 
I'm not even really that good at the video game. You know what's really frustrating is when the thing that's designed to give you that experience of control and feeling of winning, you still lose. It's like, man, even in this, my life is terrible. Where is the place that you go when real life is too tough right now and I just can't deal? Is it Jesus? What does looking to Jesus look like? It looks like running to him and running to his word. And I'm not preaching against video games. And maybe some of your parents are like, go ahead, you should. What Jesus doesn't want us to do is to miss what he is doing because we are distracting ourselves with other things. And it's not just the distractions that we can seek out, whether it's endless scrolling on social media or video games or distracting ourselves with drink. He also mentions the cares of this life. Things go wrong. Things go wrong. Sewers back up. Tires go flat. We don't just go, well, let's, let's pray. Jesus is coming again. Right? You have to make calls. You have to do things. And so we may say, well, Rob, don't you understand? Like, there's, there's a lot of things I got to do. It's true. But let us not have our hearts, as Jesus says, weighed down with the cares of this life. Yes, there are things we have to do. But it's our life so filled up with the things we have to do that there's no room for the things that will last forever. The final exhortation is stay awake. The idea here is keep looking to Jesus. Stay alert. We cannot afford to live our lives on cruise control. You ever use that expression? I could do that in my sleep. And you don't really mean that you could. You just kind of mean that you almost could. Sometimes we do that with driving. You ever had that experience? You're driving somewhere and you kind of like wake up at a light and you're like, I know I've been at least a mile and through like 10 lights since the last time I was conscious. It's like, I hope, I guess I'll get tickets for the ones that, you know, but I made it. I'm here. Okay, let's get back into it. Maybe it's been that way in your life. Or one day you wake up and you go, where am I? And you're looking at the street signs. How did I get here? This isn't where I wanted to be. How do we get to where we want to go? We look to Jesus. He says, stay awake, praying, looking to Jesus, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. When our world seems to be falling apart, we must look to Jesus We can't run away from reality. We can't figure it all out all by ourselves. It's not our watching ourselves that saves us. It's not even our staying awake that saves us. Jesus saves us. He is the one who rescues us, who redeems us, who causes us to be able to stand before him. So we ask for his help to hold on by faith. and We cast our cares on him. More than that, we cast ourselves on him. When our world seems to be falling apart, we must look to Jesus. Yes, signs are important, but we'll miss the signs if we're asleep at the wheel. 
by God's grace, let's stay awake. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us when he is revealed in his fullness. Let's pray.